Absolute best classic D&D podcast on the entire internet. If you say so. Here, here. Well, we do. It is. <laughs> Bar none. <laughs> of course, we're the only one, but yeah. that's not the point. That's the point. As usual, DM Mike rambling incoherently, and along with him, DM Glenn. The point's on my head, folks. DM Liz. Hello. And the pulse-pounding, two-fisted return of DM Jim, Jim Wampler. Greetings, Wampler. Wampler. True believers, we got jumping Jim Wampler in the house. (laughs) Jim Wampler, he corrected us last time. We're going to look like idiots. (laughs) I've been been resisting the urge to call him Jim the Wamp Wampler, so... (laughs) That sounds like a wrestler. (laughs) I've been called worse. Really, I answer to anything. (laughs) Anything. DMAU or something. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's so good to be here, isn't it? First episode of 2013, so we're coming back off our break. Yeah. That's why I couldn't remember the Wampler thing, because. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Marvin Let's the- go with that. That sounds good. Marvin the Wampler, okay. <laughs> Wampler the Mage? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? So, what you guys been up to? I mean, it's been a long, dry spell. Yeah, well, holidays pretty much. Um, well, fortunately, we were able to be in that um, online game that Teeman ran for right. us. That's so right. we did actually get some classic gaming in over the holidays. That yeah. was fun. Teeman, it was fun, believe me. It was yes. almost a TPK. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was the first one to die. Woohoo! And I was the only one not to collapse anyway yeah. and it wasn't giant centipedes that's true no it you died by real monsters this time yeah, yeah it was not a quarter hit die creature that killed me so no. i appreciate that experience being no. killed by a four real monster now that's a dm <laughs> maybe if teeman decides to do it again sometime we can record it and do an actual play thing yeah that'd be fun wouldn't yeah it? so so listeners you can hear us die horribly in <laughs> stereo it's always fun. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's been mostly what we've been doing. Yep. And uh, I I had a game I had a basic game yesterday, and I was telling Jim off off the air. You were telling Jim off? No, I was telling him off the air that I think our group set a land speed record for character creation and death. I think it was ten minutes. Oh, and speaking of not being killed by a for real monster. Yeah, um, a friend, um, the cleric died in our party, so our players started rolling up another character. He rolled up a fighter. He wasn't hopeless, but he was damn near. So he named him Durr. <laughs> First or last name? Just Durr. Okay, fine. 
and his his cleric got killed. He got yellow molded to death. And this guy, always ran, fun. This guy ran into a room with guess what, Mike? Four giant spiders. Uh, and we may, all made short work of them. But then a couple of grizzly bears ran in and killed his character. Grizzly bears ran into the room. I, I don't know. This was no. This, Are spiders and grizzly bears friends? <laughs> no, this this was a wilderness encounter. Okay. Oh, okay. But it's it's like, dude, he's. I'm looking at my watch. Well, that was a that was a record right there. Mm-hmm. And you were even playing Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. Next thing I know, he's hauling out the d6s again. Oh, when you show up in Valhalla and you, how did you die? Oh, Sphere of Annihilation got me. That's a cool story. When you show up and go, how did you die? A grizzly bear ate me. That's not so cool. <laughs> yeah. That gets eaten by a grizzly bear. I was so impressed I wanted to name the group the Brotherhood of Durr, but they wouldn't let me. Uh, but, you see, my luck is when I get hopeless characters, name them like you know Bob or whatever, expecting them to last five minutes, they end up. You know, half the campaign, lasting I half know, the campaign. Too. I had a character in first edition one time called Charles the Expendable, and he lasted through two campaigns. Yeah, yeah. Take the convention to get him killed off. Yeah. So what you been so, up, Jim? Yeah. Uh, I've been working my rear attack facing off. Really? On yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, comics, magazines, freelance art favors for people. Are you doing a magazine? Oh, okay, we're going to talk about that. Yes, Sky Gags magazine. <laughs> yeah, let's pimp the yep. magazine while you can. Okay. If, we're, right. if we are lucky, by the time this is available for people to download, it will be, you know, the weekend where you can start ordering. So. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in, in fairness, I we did talk about it for like an hour last episode, so I just didn't want to do that again. But uh, it'll be uh, available on Saturday the 26th, which as we record this is in the future still. Um, and uh, there'll be a live unboxing event that Saturday, and uh, you've probably already attended that live unboxing event, got your magazine, and now you're listening to the episode. And oh, if you haven't, we're and, telling you, get the magazine. And, and Glenn will still be waiting for his comp. Well, I don't figure there's a problem with us pimping Gygax Magazine again because Gygax Magazine pimped us on Twitter, so, you know, fair They did. Stuff. They did. Oh, wow. It's all one, all one big gaming community, right? And, and right. The, the big news that, uh, since the last episode is that uh, Mr. Glenn has a uh, cartoon art in the magazine in the very first issue. Yay! Yay! I'm available for autographs and... Uh Panels. Anyway, um, let us know to send in the groupies. Uh, thank you. Oh, and Jim, you're on the show for your good looks. That's what Liz told me, anyway. <laughs> as anyone are all amazingly good looking. Yeah, as anyone it, listening to this MP3 can tell. I think I have a face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would know, be worse, yeah. a face for radio or a face for the internet? In many cases, they are one in the same. Yeah, that is me. true. That is true. Okay, what do we got going now? What email? Emails. Alrighty. For people who sent in voicemails, we got several, but because of some issues with Google Downloads, we're going to leave them to the next episode, as well as time crunch, etc. Yep. Okie dokie. So we got we got the we've got the mail mistress here, or the. Yeah. A postal person. Thank you. 
They don't call them mailmen anymore, do they? Letter carriers. There we go. So anyway. <laughs> hey, just let me dig out, dig out at my own pace, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm waiting for that echo effect when he's down in the hole. And <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as we mentioned, um, Gygax Magazine did give us a tweet um, on December 18th, basically telling the world that Jim was being interviewed on our episode and to give us a lesson, and they were even kind enough to give a direct link on the Twitter post, so we were very happy about that. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. And our first email comes from Patrick Seymour. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Uh, Patrick says, hi, guys. Mike just mentioned that the two-for-one adjustments on abilities did not exist in Brown Box. Unfortunately, this is not correct. Men and Magic, page 10, under Explanation of Abilities, notes that clerics can use strength on a three-for-one to wisdom. Clerics and fighters can use intelligence on two-for-one, and wisdom can be used three-for-one by fighters and two-for-one by magic users. Of course, in this edition, the first mention of ability swapping under strength specifies that this is, quote, for purposes of gaining experience only, end quote. Cheers. You liar! Ooh, what a burn. (laughs) Yeah, he got me. I guess it's because most, virtually all the groups I've ever played in, when we've rolled attributes, it's almost always been a put them where you want them. So as kind of a Sop to that, there was never the point trade, so I just clean, clean forgot about it. Well, you know what? That sentence for experience only to me seems like an oxymoron. <laughs> Why else would you? <laughs> um, I don't know. Top out. I don't know. Getting a you know an eighteen strength. Ah, okay. But does Tim do that in his game? I was just, it's its like uh, the guy that's running, speaking of Doctor Who, the guy that's running Doctor Who now says that in a show that involves time travel, you can't really have continuity errors, right? And the brown books are that way. I mean, I play OD&D right out of the brown books in Tim Cass' campaign, but he just pretty much does whatever he wants. I mean, I've, in, I don't know, a dozen sessions, never seen him crack the book once. Wow. That's the beauty of basic. <laughs> Yeah. You can do whatever you want, and virtually all of the basic editions tell you somewhere in the rules, do whatever works for your group. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it in the episode, but I was just uh, squabbling with him about that attack matrix in Greyhawk, and I'm like, how is anybody supposed to read that and make any sense of it? And he assures me <laughs> that if you were a miniatures wargamer in the mid-'70s, you understood it perfectly. And I'm like, okay, well, I came in at AD&D. I, I, I was just reading it last night and couldn't make heads or tails of it. It was making my dyslexia have fits. Remember, these were guys who were fooling around with like Mac t- or Apple IIs and things like that. I understand. Or Unix, maybe. Unix, yeah. Hey, the Apple IIe was the very first computer I learned how to use. So. And this episode's gratuitous Doctor Who reference brought to you by Jim Wampler. Thank and, you. And Heath Kit. Anyway. Uh, Okay, thanks for the correction, Patrick, because I hate giving information that's wrong. So He just hates giving information. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's me. (laughs) That's why he has a career in teaching, because he hates giving people information. information. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. Yes. Anyway, 
our next letter is from a vile traveler. Oh, this one? And, And he says, hey, you guys, don't put down my Electrum pieces and Platinum pieces. They're right there in my mold bay, page B47. And he lists the conversion. Mm-hmm. 100 copper equals 10 silver equals 2 electrum equals 1 gold equals 1 fifth of a platinum. Um, so souvenir on white, right there. Don't mess with my head like that, okay? <laughs> and here it is in Holmes. And he gives the same, which is more or less the same, only it's 50 copper to 10 silver as opposed to 100 like in Moldvay. Um and he says, don't ask me why Holmes capitalizes the coin type abbreviations and Moldvay lower cases them, though. Oh, yeah, nice review of Labyrinth Lord. I know what I'm getting for Christmas. Random tales are the bee's knees, and you, do, and you so do need a guide to making labyrinths. I mean, I can retro-design a Holmes maze based on the Tower of Xenopus, but that's with <clears throat> 30 <clears throat> years of gaming hindsight. It's a pet dislike of mine. I'm a disliker, not a hater. That retro clones don't explain the game. Okay, you don't need to explain the whole concept of role-playing, but at least tell the kids how to run this game. The next generation can't rely on us grognards to show them the way, because we're old school. We'll just double bluff and red herring them until they have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Platinum and Electrum wrong. (laughs) Rest in peace, caller, and stay there. I'm still looking for a copy of Holmes's fantasy role-playing games for Adventures in Blue Holm, background inspiration. Mm-hmm. So color me green with envy. Vile. Thank you, Vile. Thank uh, you, Vile. Man, this is beat-up DM Mike episode. That's <laughs> right. No. DM Mike don't know what he's talking I about. Knew, I remembered it was in Holmes, I think. I just didn't think it was in Moldvay, and I thought I'd looked before the game, or I mean before the episode, but then I went back after getting this email, and yeah, he's right. Electrum and Platinum were in basic. But, um, you know, Vile, now did you take into account the subtable on steel pieces on page 46? Well, I actually thank him because now I know how I'm being DM'd. The double bluff and the red herring. I recognize (laughs) it. There you go. Like, hey. (laughs) Tim. And yeah, if you can find a copy of Holmes's fantasy role playing, yeah, get it. It's it's not only good for D and D, but it's it's good just to see. It's a photograph of the RPG industry. And if you want to, in the late seventies early 80s, and it was just, it's a really great book. Yeah. Now, if you want a look at the role-playing industry around like like 85 going to 90s, I would recommend Sean Patrick Fannin's The Fantasy Role Player. I think it's a fantasy role-playing game. The Fantasy Role Player's Bible. Ah. um, Where he does the same thing, only he takes it up to like in the next 15 years. Yeah. Um, Thank you. You're welcome, Sean. By the way, um, <laughs> and but, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I agree with Vile. I think a lot of people who make clones just too easily fall into the well. Everybody already knows what a role playing game is. Exactly. And to a degree, if you're selling to people who say <clears throat> love, oh, I don't know, Brown Book or Holmes, but want something a bit clearer to read, you may have a point, but 
again, maybe I'm an optimist, but I'd just like to think that we could still get new people, brand new people into the game. Any game. That's right. That actually came up this weekend. A friend of mine's 11-year-old who's like this super genius little girl has expressed her first interest in D&D. And he's like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, they just reprinted the AD&D books, but I don't know if I'd inflict those on an 11-year-old. Here, get her this. And I sent him a link to the uh, Castles and Crusades white box. I figured that's a good starting place. Yeah, Castles and Crusades. (laughs) It's not even – I mean, it's – it has an old school feel, it's and it's a very streamlined. Mechanics. The mechanics are streamlined and easy for a younger person to learn. It's more D twenty than anything else. Well, but I that's almost part said- of the easy part because <laughs> you're using the D twenty fairly regularly instead of having of the- to memorize which polyhedra. Yeah, in our in our two E game, we've got a brand new player in, and the first thing that always messes him up is okay. When do I want to roll high, and when do I want to roll low? Because, you know, well, checks, you want to roll low. Saving those in combat, you want to roll high. And, yeah, we all know that. You know, it's been beat into our heads. After the last game, I'm wondering. (laughs) (laughs) I saw two or three players, including myself, go, okay, saving throws are high. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, Castles and Crusades is certainly a great way to start. Um, Okay. I'm not going to argue with Thank you, Vile. Got to be nice to him. He's the guy who laid out mazes and perils. So he's all right then. <laughs> what else do we have? Okay, our next email is from Teeman. Is Teeman going to beat me up tonight? <laughs> Hello, Teeman. Thank you for the game, Teeman. <laughs> Teeman says, "I really enjoyed the show on Labyrinth Lord." I GM basic expert, so Labyrinth Lord is a great substitute. Hadn't noticed. (laughs) It's really good also to hear what they changed. I think it is great that the retro clones and retro-inspired games are out there. They are a true service to those of us who have lost our old books or just want a cleaner presentation of the old rules. May the old school live on forever and hopefully with some new blood. I enjoy hearing how Glenn is passing the hobby along to his grandkids. (sighs) Also, did you just die? (laughs) (laughs) Also, would you consider doing a show on Dark Dungeons, the rule cyclopedia clone? I've considered purchasing it to use instead of my own beat up copy of RC, but would love to hear your take. As ever, I remain steeping Teeman. Thank you, Teeman. Now that Vince Vince is gone, yes. No, no, we can't do that. (laughs) Excuse me. Actually, as as we've said before, it's going to be the last of the clones we cover, probably in episode 66 at this rate. Okay. So, yes, we are going to cover it. Wait patiently. Yes. Yeah, and that's going to be a real doozy, folks. Yeah. (laughs) And while sometimes I wonder why there are so many clones, I, I do think on the whole it's, I guess, better to have too many than not enough. Yeah. So... You know, it's always going to keep, if if not the exact mechanics alive, it's going to keep the idea of old school gaming alive. And right. And if you're not looking for a piece of the pie, even better. Hi, Thorky. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Piece of the pie? The You know, the money. Yeah, because <laughs> oh, the, the hundreds of dollars of a year you can earn in the lucrative field of game design. That's right, Jim. You know about that. I know that's what got me into comics was all the big bucks and beautiful women. That's oh, yeah. right. 
Well, I had to lay off the beautiful women. Maybe for art writers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, a lot of the people who are making the retro clones, you know, they're available as free downloads. You know, they're not even asking for money for them. It's like, mm-hmm. this is my take on the rules, you know, download them and use them if you want them. Yep. You know, yep. if I'd been thinking faster, I could have told my friend to do that with Labyrinth Lord because without the art, it's a free PDF. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. Oh, well. I suppose you could send an email seeing if he's, if he's purchased it or not. That's now, right. What's that? I hear the trollers screaming in anger at me. <laughs> really? Cutting off a, a sail. Yeah, that's a... Uh-oh. Naughty person, you. Uh, that's me. Yeah, that's you. Any more it, emails? It, it doesn't work that way once somebody gets infected. They buy everything. That's what we did when we were kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, Labrador leads to sales, too. Yeah, yeah. The, here's a game that looks awful. I ought to buy it and find out. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe how, in the day, I can't believe how many role pl- quote-unquote role-playing games I bought that just looked like somebody printed on a ditto machine on the back of their car. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Or little war games like that. Yeah. Yeah, doggone you, H.G. Wells. <laughs> I remember one that had Rommel. I, t- I kid you not, it was Rommel and his Africa Corps going through dungeons fighting orcs. <laughs> okay. I am not making that up. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a weird little thing. Radar Mordor. <laughs> now, now I've, I've heard of, you know, legends of lost tribes of, or lost Roman legions you know, winding yeah. up in weird spots, but not Rommel. Yeah, he was the dungeon fox, I, guess, I think. <laughs> it was, that's actually kind of awesome. <laughs> I, I don't even remember how the game played. I just remember the concept, and it was like, wow, that's something else. Anyway. It wasn't Time War, was it? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That, ma- that would involve it making far too much sense if it was Time War, but no. Okay. It was just, don't question, you've got Nazis going into a dungeon, start shooting. Everything is better with Nazis, yes. Oh. And giant robots. And zombies. And zombies, and pirates. Giant robots. zombies. That's right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Do we have any more email? We have one final email. <gasps> really? Yes. Uh, uh, uh. And our last email is from Malo. And Malo Malo writes, Hey, gang, I encourage you to take a look at the Adventurer Conqueror King system, or ACKS for short. It's a a redesign of Basic Expert. The rules elegantly incorporate several layers of gameplay. Everything from using your wits to survive the grim low levels of dungeon crawling, through the conquering of the wilderness, and then upwards into the pinnacle of power. Rule your own domain, expand the influence of your faith, conduct magical research into new spells, items, and creatures from your lofty tower, or seize the local thieves' guild and run your very own crime syndicate. The Player's Companion was just released, which adds even more classes and spells, as well as extensive rules for how to design your own. Yeah, he said forward- extensive. <laughs> he says, I look forward to hearing your review and hopefully an interview with the designers. Well, we'll take a look at it. Well. There's, there's always kind of a fine line, though, What you know, because 
if you really want to extrapolate it, any fantasy RPG could claim to have been inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. That's true. Um, but we'll take a look at it if it's pretty close. Sure. But, you know, keep in mind, you know, as much as you know, we covered Labyrinth Lord, but we're not going to cover the Advanced Edition Companion, specifically because that essentially makes it into AD and D, and you know, that's really kind of roll for initiatives, Bailiwick. Then why aren't we doing uh, what was it? There, um, they got one that turns into a white box. Yeah, the um, zero E or something like that. Yeah. yeah, we could potentially do that booklet if there's, you know, if people are interested in maybe hearing about it. Write in, let us know, and maybe we'll cover it. Or the Swords and Wizardry white box rules. That would be nice. Although with the Swords and Wizardry white box, I would want to check it out. You know, how much of it really changes from Sword and Wizardry core? Yeah, you sure. Know, to see, does this, you know. Or are we just covering like maybe a half dozen modifications? It seems odd to do a whole episode, but we'll check on that. We can look. Sure, sure. Len just volunteered to look at it, so you know, hopefully, we'll get a report soon. Those are the emails. Those are the emails. Thank you, Miss Liz. You are very welcome. And for that, let's move into game on. not to volunteer, but once in a while. (laughs) Foot goes in the mouth. You know how it is. Yeah. You get helium hand or you say something that could be construed as volunteering when you didn't intend it to be so. Or you don't show up at the meeting so everyone votes you to do it because you're not there. Thank you, Miss Liz. I just got a new disease I could inflict on players. Helium Helium hand. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's what we used to call it when we'd find ourselves volunteering for things in medieval reenactment. It's like, why did you say you would cook the feast? It's like, I'm sorry, I had helium hand. (laughs) I just (laughs) found myself volunteering. (laughs) So we were talking about the Greyhawk supplement. Yes, as a response to some requests to cover the expansions to the Brown Book game original. We decided we will look at the first one, Supplement 1, Greyhawk. Yes. And Jim has some particular insights on this because he actually is playing in a Brown Book game with using Greyhawk. I'm not sure how much of a yardstick that is, but that's what Tim says. Uh, I was going to say, he thinks he's playing in a Brown Book. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I just uh, wanted to codify it by that because that's the... Greyhawk is the line in the sand officially in Tim's campaign. However, um, Tim's the kind of DM that if you want to run a Gnome Illusionist, he'll let you run one. And somewhere in his folder, he's got the original Dragon article, and off you go. You know, so that's not technically nice. in Greyhawk, but but Greyhawk is is the upper limit of what he runs officially. Okay, no Blackmore or anything like that. Okay, cool, cool. And so this came out like what about a year later after the Brown Books came out? Yeah. Early seventy-five, I think that's the that's when my copy is. I think it, that was the date on the forward. Right. So the three brown books are Gary and Dave, but the uh, Greyhawk supplement starts getting into D and D Gygax style. Yeah, Gary and Rob hunts yeah. 
did this one. Right. And the main points, it's got lots of little interesting nuggets here and there, but the two main ones that stood out first to me was it included the class that later became iconic, the Thief. Right. And the Paladin. Yeah, but for all D&D, there's always been the core, fighter, magic, user, cleric, thief. Right. So, Paladin, it's kind of like... That would be the first subclass. The Paladin? Yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I think you could argue, like, the original OD&D was still just a tactical miniatures game until this came along, and there's so much in Greyhawk that laid uh, down bedrock that other stuff in AD&D and uh, basic D&D were built on. That's right. It finally, finally D&D came into its own identity. Yeah, I'd probably say a good half, maybe even two-thirds of it is just new magic items, new spells. Monsters. New monsters. The beholder most of which, Yeah, most of which become the iconic monsters of... It's the first appearance of the Beholder. Yeah, yeah. Well, and before Greyhawk, all damage was D6. All hit dice were D6 for everybody. That's, yeah. I I didn't know about that. I knew the damage, but I didn't know about the hit, all the hit dice being D6. Well, hit dice were hit dice at the time right. using Chainmail's combat. That's right. And this is the alternate combat that caught on and became the D&D combat. Yes, the idea of the ar- you know, armor class on a matrix, depending on <laughs> your level, and rolling a D20. And, this is where it started. And let me play... Corey for a minute. The wonderful uh, artwork by Greg Bell. Uh, yeah, it's iconic. It, it, yeah, it's that's a great iconic. way of putting it. It's, it's iconic. It's it is iconic, no matter what, what else you have to say about it. Although, although I got to say, on page fifty, I do appreciate the naked girl. Thank you. Uh, well, that's hard to go wrong on, really. Oh, you wouldn't. You'd be surprised, right, Jim? <laughs> Well, I, I like the cover art a lot. I actually do like that. There's something about, speaking of iconic, of that little straggly warrior sitting there, you know, facing off against a beholder. I mean, he looks pretty hopeless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that shield of his is all beat up. And I look at like- that. Okay, but I look at that picture, the way he staged it, it looks like this is a school play about D&D. Some kid's floating this this ball with eyes on it over to him. Oh, my gosh, a beholder. I must kill it. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Perhaps it's a birthday party, and that's the pinata. Perhaps. Yeah, it's a gas spore. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, in fact, over on Dragon's Foot, there's been some threads arguing that Introducing on the OD&D board that introducing the thief was a bad idea. I've heard that for so long. Because it basically took what had originally been... I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just saying the argument is it took stuff that player characters or players would have their characters do, like probe the floor with a 10-foot pole, check the doors, you know, and to just roll dice. Right. I don't know. It's like having a henchman that you don't have to pay when you've got a thief in the party. Or, but you have to give him a cut. Well, he gets his little tax off the top when nobody's looking. But <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, not to mention his commission, which it's is a, what he grabs. when It's a handling fee. But you know, every, every time you... Out of sight. But every time you hit a chest or a door, you're like, okay, thief, you're up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jim, do you play a thief in Jim's game? 
I do not. I, uh, I have a. Uh, uh, I'm not proud of this, but I have a long history of playing magic users, just because that's my uh, my wrong. speciality. But uh, I played thief in the past. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, Liz usually plays magic users or or clerics. I yeah, know. I started out doing that because those tended to be the classes that nobody else would want to play. You know, it's spe- no one wanted to be a magic user in low levels because they were, you know, practically just, you know, monster bait. One-shot wonders. Yeah. yeah, and nobody ever wanted to be a cleric in the groups I played with because <clears throat> they would always get relegated to being the healing machines and not getting to be out in front and you know, do heroic stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Even though they're the second best combat class behind yeah. the fighter. Yeah. Now, okay, I, I played a little bit of everything, but I tend to gravitate towards fighters because it's easy to up and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, way, way, way back in the day when we all first started playing AD&D, I had uh, my second character was a thief, and uh, I got bored with him because it just didn't occur to me to steal from my own party or anything silly like that. And we were, <laughs> <laughs> I was young. And uh, so uh, I uh, worked him up five levels as a thief, then did the five levels levels as a fighter to turn him into a bard. And it was just like a year of playing that character to get him to being a bard, which was the goal. And then when I got the bard, I'm like, okay, now what? And now what? And, yeah. and suicided the character because I didn't want to play him. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> the one e bard, don't you love it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, they are scary. <laughs> Takes forever to get to them, but when you do, oh boy. But yeah, um, some of the arguments against the thief, I, and it, we kind of touched on this when we did our traps episode, is I think it's a lack. It can be be a lack of imagination on the DM's part, because uh-huh. if he does relegate it to roll, you know, roll the die, find a trap or not, okay, yes, no. Well, it can it can just be dull. I don't think it's bad that you have those percentages and rolls there because, like my basic game, it's a give and take because the thief or whoever has to say, I'm listening at the door, I'm checking for traps on this chest, and he will roll it. The DM will roll it. Mm-hmm. And he will tell you yay or nay. So I see, that happened at the beginning, but for a lot of groups, most every group I've ever played in, any version, they always let the players roll the dice. Right. And I know that's not according to the rules, but that just seems to be I, how it, how it like, ended up. Well, I like it that way. I mean, it's that's good. He's doing the thing, and he'll, you know, nine times out of ten, you're absolutely certain that trap is not there, mm-hmm. or you or you disarmed it, or whatever. So, you know, it's a given. I like the way it's a give and take. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take away with I'm tapping the floor with a ten foot pole, or I'm looking for secret doors. Because they're still doing it. They're still saying they're doing it, which is role well, playing. Yeah, one of the arguments that have been come out is like, say, a first-level thief mm-hmm. has, what, like a 10% chance mm-hmm. to find a trap, I think it is. Would somebody look that up? Yeah, I believe Whereas, well, I know in Greyhawk it's 10%, Yeah, and um, it's also 10% in Holmes, but the two yeah. rule sets in my humble opinion, dovetail very closely together. Yeah, we'll be talking about that too later. Well, well here's, the, here's the thing. I noticed in Greyhawk that, you know, they have the titles for the different levels. The first level is Apprentice, which makes perfect sense given his 
abysmal roles for... Yeah, but generally, apprentices don't go off poking around in dungeons either. Uh, But anyway, the argument that I've heard is that, say, it's got a 10% chance, Mm -hmm. but there's another rule where, you know, the average roll is a 1 in 6. Hmm. For any other character, which is actually a higher percentage. Are we talking about remove traps? Yeah, I think so. Uh, 10% at first level. Yeah. And especially when it comes to, like, secret doors and stuff, too, you know, there's that argument of, well, but it doesn't really translate. Gotcha. Gotcha. And yes, but, you know, any DM worth their salt can overcome that one. I mean, it's. Yeah, and Holmes, it talks about, you know, if a, a roll or of a one or a two indicates the trap was sprung, said this is like a trapped floor, and you're just mm-hmm. walking over it, and you don't know it's there, on a one or two, the trap is sprung, and you fall in. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah um, I can there, see there are some inconsistencies with the... With the uh, to me, it's a non-issue. Just. Yeah. You know, everything, you know, I can say that for all D&D, but to me, this is especially a non-issue. Mm. Well, it's odd between the two character classes introduced that the objection would be to the thief, because you're right, that's part of the iconic four. It's the paladin. I have heard decades of people whining about, oh, God, we have to have a paladin in the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, people um, get ticked off at the paladins because then... They can't they do can't all the nasty. Party yeah, they can't do the nasty things that they want to do with their characters. Like, well, I'm going to torture this goblin to find out. It's like, no, you can't do that. That's wrong. <laughs> a lot of times, I run into the issue of I'm going to torture the goblin to find their lair. Really? What's your alignment again? Count it good. No, know that know that halfling you're torturing has no reason why you has. No idea why your paladin powers have vanished. Yeah. <laughs> Although the paladin, as as introduced here, is really just kind of a, dare I say, prestige class. <sighs> My heart. My heart. It's just a fighter who decides to become uber lawful and be a paladin, and they get the bennies until they do an unlawful act. And it's all left very vague. All subclasses can be prestige. You know, you can label them as prestige classes anyway. Well, no, because they don't. The paladin class in uh, Greyhawk does not have its own XP table. Ah. Does not have its own hit die table. It's a fighter who just acts a certain way and then gets a few bennies. Okay. Oh, the crazy Gary! Wow. Well, it does say he has to be lawful, so there can't be a paladin of Loki. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. We're still dealing with a three-point alignment system or a five-point alignment system? Three-point, because this is Greyhawk. Okay. I I personally kind of like this version of the Paladin, honestly. Really? Uh, Yeah. I I like how it's left more to the DM to handle, you know, to adjudicate when they're getting out of line. Some of the powers aren't as powerful as they end up becoming in eight. Now, question. This this version of the Paladin, was this an adaption of something that was in Dragon or Strategic Review? I don't think or so. Or was this before that? Uh, actually, this is before, because in the back of my copy of Greyhawk, it's, rever- it's advertising the first four issues of Strategic Review. Uh-huh. And one of the things they say is, I think it was issues two or three, it was saying, you know, the ranger. 
The Ranger. Introduced, <laughs> yeah. And, of course, it had its own XP table and so on and so forth. Okay, okay, just a question. Did. So, yeah, I kind of like their version of the ballot. You do? Yeah, I do. Okay. And let's see, what else we got in this book? Um, hmm. Variable class hit dice and... You've got what transformed into racist class, although it's not racist class per se. True. True, because they do put the demi-humans in there as classes, don't they? Well, they infer it. Ah, okay. Don't they, when they say NPCs? Is that what you're talking about? Well, it's, it, it's all the... Where they're trying to fix so people could play... There was uh, The way Tim explains it, there was a tug-of-war between players wanting to play demi-humans and Gary wanting demi-humans not to be so powerful, they took over the campaign and everybody played them. So I think Greyhawk is where they were trying to find the balance. Because there's crazy stuff in there. Where if you're a half-elf with a 16 strength, you can be a fighter-mage cleric. Yeah. That yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> Which is something that I, I caught there that I either had never noticed or the games I was in never noticed. If you were, say, a fighter magic user elf, you know, your XP hey. split. Hey. Um, but then when you hit, I mean, if you're in multiple classes, a demi-human, and you reach the maximum level in one of those classes, but the other class you can still go up higher levels, any XP you get is still, still split. Yep. And you basically lose half of it. I never noticed that. Hmm. I think that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Really. Well, it, it's something else so that everybody doesn't run, like Jim was just saying, and rush to play demi-humans. Yeah. you got to keep them down, yeah. Well, plus, prior to Greyhawk, they were all real limited. And at least with the Thief class, they had something they could be unlimited in, level-wise. Uh-huh. Yeah, there is no level limits for Thieves. Yeah. Any race, so yeah, that is certainly a that that does make sense in, True. in a way of uh, trying to control the demi-human issue. What else we got here? I noticed in the spells, this is the last. Is this the last time the magic missile you actually have to roll the hit? Uh, you roll a hit for magic missile in Holmes as well, and it's the two to seven hit points uh, in Holmes. Yeah, D six plus one. So. Uh, and I think I think. Um, Frank Mitz already fessed up that he's the one who changed it, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, we, no, I think it was it's auto hit in Moldvay. I okay. think before I get an email correcting <laughs> me, I You're think wrong. well, I'm saying has a copy of Moldvay around a chip. I know that was my first first culture shock jumping into Tim's campaign because I thought, well, I played AD and D. How bad a change could this possibly be? And Magic Missile, okay, roll the hit. I'm like, what? Yeah, actually, and I and since that, of course, predates Moldvay, I'll bet that's where it started. Well, I'm saying I'm saying Frank, like not in the Manser rules, but I'm saying like oh, okay, was, as part of the playtesters. Yeah, I was okay. one of the ones that said, okay, I'm changing this to always hit. Yeah, no. there there is a call out in the spells in Greyhawk to one of the playtesters, Jim Ward. I, I I just noticed that last night, and then I had to go look it up to make sure what I thought was there was right. In uh, Meteor Swarm, Jim's name is mentioned in the spell description. Really? <laughs> yeah, appara- apparently, Jim as a player insisted that it called down literal rocks, fiery rocks from the sky, and Gary didn't think so, so he wrote it his way into the rules and then said, Jim. <laughs> that would be cool, though. Rocks fall. That's that's the literal rocks fall. Everybody dies. <laughs> Lightning from God, or it's parts of the Starship Warden. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one of the things I like about 
another thing I like about the Greyhawk book is it's a great short little booklet that you can plug in a lot of the iconic AD&D stuff into your Brown Book or Holmes right. or Mulvey or even Mincer. Yeah. You know, you've got it there in shorthand, and most of the stuff isn't quite as crunchy as it yeah. ends up becoming an AD&D. Yeah, you don't have to go directly to AD&D, DMG, or Flyer's right. Handbook or anything. You go this, which is nice. There's a part near the end of the book that I think gives you a really good insight to how Gary ran Castle Greyhawk. It's that little tricks, traps, and monstrous combinations. It's like a page long of just really wacky ways you oh, can screw players up in a dungeon, and it's awesome. Oh, oh yeah, with the uh, giant bubbles and animal crackers. and <laughs> Yeah, those, the, the list of possible traps. And the room of gender changing. A room of gender changing? Yeah. Not a, not a magic item, a room. Yeah, you just go in. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well... Send it, send it, send a doppelganger in, see what happens. Well, but the, but know, there's like a troll with a magic spear riding a purple worm, which is mm-hmm. what's that? Twenty years before Monty Cook and the mind flare on the beholder, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the gold dragon that's really just a shaped pile of yellow mold. Some good stuff there. Yeah. But yeah, regarding the classes, we'll also mention the variable hit die for classes came in here. Yes. And. As Gary says on page 10, the whole system is specifically to increase the hit points of fighters and reduce them of magic users. I'll have to go back and look at the original books. I didn't know that was an issue. It was all D6s. Hmm. Remember, everything that's D6. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And that's way too much for a magic user. Well, see, again, <laughs> you got the, you got them kind of figuring out the initial game balances because it, it, the way it's written, it looks like you know the magic users had started to take over the game, and like, okay, well now we got to power power the fighters up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, kimping the magic users, okay. Well, well, it's one of those you know, as anyone who plays old school knows, magic users tend to start pretty darn weak, mm-hmm. and but yeah, by the time they start hitting, soft gooey sinners to begin with. Yeah, start oh, yeah. hitting around fourth or fifth level. They really start to rock. Yeah, squishy wizards. And of course, my last magic user I played, granted this was second edition, but she continued to have a soft, gooey center, even at name level, because I was rolling crappy every single time for hit points. But you had like a negative two armor class, too. I needed we, that We loaded you two. up with, with protective magic, because, oh. yeah, you had a go- still had a soft, gooey center. Even, yes. even Jeremy Irons had a soft, gooey center. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. You're welcome. <laughs> Anything more we want to talk about from a player perspective? Oh. Half elves. First, first book to give us half elves as a player race. Really? Yep. Okay, I, I totally missed that. Mm-hmm. Wow. I noticed the reference to him there, but I somehow I just never connected it with, you know. Yeah, that is the first time, isn't it? Son of a gun. I yep. bet they were real popular. I think they were, weren't they? Because it was a, a way of kind of combining. It was a way of playing an elf where Gary wouldn't bitch. Well, it was a diluted. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They got like a half. Well, it was a half the bennies of an elf. Yeah, or reduced so, something. Yeah, like. reduced bennies of an. Is elf. that how it is, Jim? If it's the way it reads to me in the rules. It's like okay, another little play test, balance, fine tune. How can we have part of an elf but not have him be all powerful and 
like uh, I think they have different level limits. They're not limited in some of the classes like an elf would be. Yeah, yeah or the level limits are higher for a half elf than they are for a pure elf. So while I've they don't have the same abilities or not as strong, they can go up one or two levels higher in certain areas than a full-blooded elf could. They're like elf light. Yeah, which which I find interesting that he didn't go all the way on this and introduce half-dwarves. Quarterlings, half-elves. Ah. Well, no, I mean half-elves, <clears throat> even though it was repeatedly insisted that... <laughs> he had no interaction with Tolkien whatsoever. It was a happy coincidence. Happy Hobbit coincidence and Balrogs and and half elves, which uh-huh. is mentioned in Tolkien, but half dwarves and half quarterlings or whatever things were not. <laughs> okay. So cool. Well, he did give us the Beholder copyright 2012, which is the ghost. And uh, all rights reserved. Please don't sue us. Yes. <laughs> I was on the other show. I was driving him crazy every time I mentioned that or mind flares. I go, copyright twenty twelve. This is a ghost. Uh, copyright twenty twelve. Hasbro. Hasbro. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, don't want to mess with them either. They got more money. That's true. Anyway, you think we should move on? Okay. Okay. To what? To DM Fiat. DM car. Nope. Sorry. What? Uh, nope. You're wrong. Look it up. I don't have to look it up. It's common knowledge. Nope. No. 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 Please, not more of the fiat jokes. It's driving him insane. Mindwipe. Doc Mindwipe already drove that into the ground. All I can say is zoom, zoom. Anyway, so what do we have in Greyhawk this time? NPC loyalty? Yeah. Is this the first time they've done that? Well, there's certainly that the percentile system that ended up being used. I think Chainmail had a very simplified morale system. Yeah. But this is the one where charisma can play into it. Ah, okay. We're talking about more than it did originally. Okay. Now, is this is this just NPC loyalty or loyalty slash, like you said, morale? Say you're fighting a monster and you have to check for morale. Well, that's generally where the loyalty came in. How ah. you know when things start going against you in combat, how loyal are they to you? Or are they going to say, "Screw you guys, I'm going home"? Right. You know, it's so strange that most DMs I've seen start out with with if they start out with morale. They'll use it for like maybe what three games. Then all of a sudden they'll drop it. Hmm. It's like screw this. I wanted to fight the monsters. <laughs> Something to refer to the troll lords again. Steve Chenault said that I thought was the best system ever. He said when asked how does he resolve characters swimming across a river, he said. Okay, first thing, I pick up a die and roll it behind the screen to make them think I'm rolling for something. (laughs) If it's important to the story for the character to get across the river, he does. If it isn't, he doesn't. Yeah. Okay. And with a small modification to that, I think unless there's a significant risk that he's not going to make it across the river, why bother rolling? Yeah, or if you have an encounter in the river. Yeah. Well, yeah, then that's different. That's not, then, can he swim from shore to shore? It's, can he swim from shore to shore while being chased by a giant gar or whatever. Right. Gotcha. Or did he remember to take his plate mail off? 
Yeah. Yeah. Important stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Although there is a gripe that a lot of that I've run into with some DMs having done medieval reenactment before. I have known guys, one guy in particular who was not particularly super muscled or anything, who swam an Olympic pool wearing a chainmail hauberk and leggings. Wow. Yeah. So when they say, oh, it's chainmail, you can't move. Well, no, no. I mean, what, do I have a strength of eight? What, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, it's DM fiat, but that sort of thing just kind of grinds my teeth. Now, plate mail, of course, is a whole different animal. I just got an idea for a good magic item. These series of sheet splatters under plate mail that are magically um, enchanted, so when you get hit and it breaks, they inflate. Which would be good for... It's like PS-238, the character of Tyler. Yeah. Who's running around with a bunch of airbags on him. Yeah, but that (laughs) would also... That would also be good, though, for getting across, like, you know, for the sea, for water, for getting across things or on a boat. As long as you don't flip over and the inflatables are at the top. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then it's like, ah. You guys played in in the Snake Riders module at at, uh, North Texcon, right? No, I didn't. I was going to say, I think Mike and I did. Was that the one where we shouldn't have had the live chickens? No, 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 that's a different one. Snake okay. Snake Riders takes place on a tropical island, and you've got two ways to get to the temple in the center of the island. You can hack your way through the jungle, which you shouldn't do, or you can build a raft and go down the river where you get assaulted by everything. And we were going down the river, and a giant came and upset the raft, and the dwarf went straight to the bottom. Poof. Wow. <laughs> Just like that. He didn't get any, any chance to swim. He Tim did give him a, a chance to see how – he had to keep making saves to see if he could hold his breath long enough to walk the bottom of the river up to the shore. <laughs> oh, boy. Nobody's- was he in plate? Yes. Yeah, well, dwarves aren't exactly big swimmers to begin with. And Throw them then- an anchor. <laughs> yeah, They're very dense. Tough. They're not buoyant, even without armor on. <laughs> he pulled it off, but we were sweating it. Oh, man. <laughs> well, also talking about the variable hit dice system for classes, this is, of course is where they introduced variable hit die for monsters. Right. Um, though monsters tended to default to D8s depending on you know what type they were. And also introduced multiple attacks. Oh boy, God, I hate those. Claw, claw, bite, baby. Yep, claw, claw, bite. Claw, claw, bite, my God. This is well, it certainly beefed up some of the monsters. One could wonder if it beats them up too much. I'm thinking. I don't know. I never actually made a comparison to say what a troll would do with a claw claw bite as opposed to the OD&D claw, you know, trolls hit dice. You see, those kind of monsters, once you get over like three for the party, it gets ridiculous. Now, see, in Holmes, you had the multiple attack monsters. But it was suggested that you at least start out having the D6 for everybody across the board as far as hit dice. Right. So it was kind of a happy medium between the two extremes. You know, you still had everybody was D6, but you did get your monsters in the monster section of the book that had multiple attacks. Mm-hmm. In OD&D, you want your henchmen and hirelings to have good morale because you may end up playing one of them after you die. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's another good point. This is true. 
They killed Fritz. G- Gage's character was half half henchman, <laughs> and he became a full character. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, another modification was to the experience. How does that work? Words. Because originally, which as Gary himself writes in the book, to talk about the ridiculous 100 XP per level that were granted in Brown Book. Right on. <laughs> Instead, break it down, you know, depending on the hit dice and such. That's 100 XP an orc. That's pretty good. That's 100 XP a kobold. <laughs> no offense, Liz. Oh, sure. None taken. <laughs> 12 kobolds and I level up. Woohoo! See the hits on my wall? And that's why kobolds need to be tricky and clever. <laughs> yes. And why getting to 36 level wasn't as, <laughs> as hard as maybe people thought. That's true. That's true. Of course, people used to play long and hard in those days. Oh, yeah. But then, of course, you know, with the XP, it was variable depending on the hit die, depending on what they're... Again, something that became iconic in both basic and expert. Right. And and advanced, sorry. D&D, right to... I Till 2000, I can't speak to 3rd edition or 4th or 4.256 with Windows. Series (laughs) Pack 2. But, yeah, those were the big things there. And we already discussed suggested traps and tricks oh yeah that he put in there well I just because I got real fresh on this stuff reading up for the podcast I, I went through Greyhawk and Blackmore both and by comparison I mean Greyhawk has just this uh, huge buttload of iconic D&D monsters as, and in uh, Blackmore, it was like Sohagen and a giant bunch of every kind of animal you can think of. But in uh, uh, Greyhawk, you get the uh, Platinum and Chromatic Dragons for the first time. Mm-hmm. They don't call her uh, Tiamat and Bahamut, but you've got them in there. And, you know, Humberhulks, Blake Dogs, Displacer Beast, Hellhounds, all kinds of stuff that you just take for granted now. Rust Monsters, Sturges. Yeah. And, they are, are not in, and they are not in alphabetical order. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is the really fantastic part of the Greyhawk supplement. If you're trying to look up a monster to use on your players, like, where the heck are the... <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things, like the writing for the Umber Hulk, it says, you know, it mentions that they are frequently mistaken for other monsters at distance in the dungeon. Hmm. But they don't say what monsters. I mean, how many... Whatever eight foot tall monster. (laughs) It's frequently mistaken for other eight foot tall monsters with really large heads. Lies, yeah. Uh, That look like a hobgoblin, except it just tunneled through the wall. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and and is you know eight to nine feet tall, like many hobgoblins. Although I gotta say when the doing the description of the Umber Hulk is like with heads resembling bushel baskets and the first thing I thought of because I'm a Doctor Who geek was it's a really tall Sontaran (laughs) (laughs) well I just think of it like a beast with a basket on his head well since we talked to Doctor Who Jim did you see the uh, the Sontaran Christmas Carol video I have not but it sounds like something I want to see trying to sing various Christmas carols, it's great. Yeah, look, look, look for it on YouTube. <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was a, had a very shiny nose, which was a tactical disadvantage because I could punch him in the dark. <laughs> 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 great very stuff. good. Great stuff. Oh, my God. 
Anyway, so yeah, there's some good monsters. Again, like you mentioned, Jim, iconic monsters. Blackmore was pretty much just aquatic monsters. Um, like the Sahugan. Yeah, I know we're not pronouncing it right, but it's just fun to say it that way. No, no, you said it correctly. It's just down here in Texas, we, uh, one of the head guys in charge of our uh, comic book store we used to go to always called them Sahugan. Just like that. And, you know, (laughs) uh, I'm surprised you can pronounce Wampler. (laughs) Wampler. I'm dyslexic and I'm from Kentucky, so I have two excuses for anything I mispronounce. Well, actually heard it's supposed to be Sahoygan. Like Sheboygan. Yeah, it's supposed to be Sahoygan. Hi there, I'm Sahoygan from Sheboygan. How you doing? Yeah, well, <laughs> Indy pretty much started in the Great Lakes, so. Yeah. That's right. But it's the Great Lakes. Yeah, you ought to go up there and, and game Jim. They won't have any problem with your, with your name. They're all youpers. I have a mission this Gary Con. I'm going to get in a game at Ernie's house. Really? Yep. It's usually open invitation, but I decided I'm going to do it this year. Oh, wow. So is he <laughs> picking up the mantle? You know, Gary used to always have the games parties. at his house whenever they had the cons up there. Parties. It, it was going on last Gary Con. I just wasn't brave enough to go. Uh, Ernie's insane because, I mean, it's wall to wall gaming at the convention, and when Ernie's done, he goes home, and they do it all night. Wow. They just keep going. They never stop. He's got the bug. You see, I can't do that, and I'm rather young. I think I'm a bit younger than Ernie, but I can't game like that anymore. I mean, I remember going to cons back in the 80s. Me too. Gaming all, almost, you know, maybe two hours of sleep a night yep. for the whole con. And gaming, 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 and it's like, you know, four or five hours in a row, and I'm getting antsy. Yep. yep. Well, I, my, my basic theory about the whole role-playing game industry is it's all about, or not the industry, but the, the, the activity is it's all about the bragging rights. What you did, you can brag about it later. So I want I want that bragging right. That's true. Yeah. Kind of like fishermen. Like that, I don't remember what convention it was. Was it was either the Milwaukee Game Fests or maybe Gen Con, where Gary Gygax ran some tournaments, and at the end he was passing out little um, papers called "Gary Gygax Kill My Character," and you would get it signed and everything with your character's name, and he would sign it for you and everything. Then you go frame it or bronze. Yeah, it. now that was kind of that would have been kind of cool. The single dumbest thing I've done in my entire gaming career is when uh, I was working with Jim Ward on getting Metamorphosis Alpha 4th Edition published, uh, he gave me an open invitation to Gary's table. And for like two years, I'm like, ah, I don't don't have time. I don't have time to drive up there. Now I wish I did it. Yeah, he was was a trip to game. Yeah, I know. I I went to Origins one year, and uh, I had... An invitation to play with Dave Arneson, and I blew it off, and I'm still going. Why? Whereas I think it was was it O2, Liz, mm-hmm. that we flew up to Milwaukee specifically because there was an AD and D one E tournament being run. Yeah, that Milwaukee the, Game Fest convention. And the, and the final, it was one through one of Gary's adventures mm-hmm. uh, that he published through Inner City Games, and like the final round, he was going to run it himself. And wow. we made it to the final round. Wow. And That's awesome. Yeah, that was... It was like, yeah, we were not expecting to make it all the way through. We figured we'd be lucky if we managed to make it, you know, to the halfway. 
know, and we wound up on the the winning, you know, group. Cool. And oh, it was a fun group too. We we had some. It was Liz's first really D and D tournament, and I'm like my only third, I think. Have you told him the story yet about um, running a game and having Janelle JK show up? No. Oh, did okay. not. Okay, good. Signed for it. <laughs> I was running. Dragon Crown from Judges Guild, written by Janelle Wait, wait, and she showed up to play? Well, it was at North Texas, and Janelle was a guest, and, you know, so Mike was going to be running this Holmes game on Sunday, you know, just to fill up a slot, and suddenly, you know, I think it was Bad Mike who came up and said, you know, did you know... Janelle has signed up to play your game. And Mike's going, oh, my God. Jeez. No pressure pressure there. Yeah, no pressure. Only just wrote the thing. (laughs) But Mike had a reprieve. I'll let you tell it, Mike. Okay. Uh, Something happened. I don't know what it was. She had to get gone early. Yeah, I think she's heading to catch the plane. Or something. Either way, she had to bow out, and I was like... Torn because on the one hand, you know, it had been able to game the Jackways, but on the other hand, it was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you look in your bag of magic tricks and go, ooh, I'm going to need a bigger bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially since I always modify the maps considerably when it comes to published modules like that. Because mm-hmm. while I would like to think that people would not get into it knowing the maps already and wow they suddenly know how to go exactly to the right place (laughs) i would change the maps but then i'm like you know is janelle gonna think it's a lane change is she gonna laugh you laugh or buff off yeah but yeah back to greyhawk anyway um yeah well maybe with uh anything else yeah, anything from a DM's perspective we want to talk about. I, I do have a question, Mike. Um, you, you run Brown Book, right? Uh, not in a long time. I'm a, I'm a Brown Book fan, but I haven't run any in quite a while. Okay. I was just going to ask what percentage of the rules as written you use as opposed to just DM fiat. Tim, Tim's campaign is pretty high in DM fiat. Which I, I'd say you? probably between 60 and 70% I use, okay. and the rest is fiat. Um, and even that, I feel like, is kind of a, a guarded statement because there's so much, as you know, in Brown Book that says, you know, GM, decide how it works. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, which is a good thing because some of it's a little contradictory, and it, I, I can't imagine somebody running it precisely as written. No. No. I, I would, yeah. I mean, it'd be great if you can. Anyone who claims that they have and have, you know, I salute them, but I'm not one of them. Uh, and as I'm getting older, I just I, I find myself going to more freeform DM fiat type games like that, whether I'm running it or playing in it, because I don't want to fool with the fiddly bits. Hmm. Like AD and D, unfortunately, is all too full of at times. Oh, it's full of it, all right. <laughs> but I'm ching. <laughs> okay. Find a happy medium between role playing, you know, doing DM fiat to keep the story going at a good pace, 
and not letting yourself get bogged down in a lot of dice rolling and a lot of flipping through rule books. You know, so I think... Or being stoned as a heretic because you did not follow Surprise and Initiative by the book, as noted in the DM's guide. Oh, for him forbid. Yeah. Well, for example, I wanted to do a DM screen for Tim with some nice art on it, um, just like you recently did, Glenn. And uh, so I want to put the combat matrices on there. I can't make heads or tails of them in Greyhawk. Then I went to the basic D&D DM screen, and the numbers are all just a little different. Have you looked at the Judges Guild Ready Ref Sheets? I have it in my hand. That was my solution. Ah, okay. I have it, I have it in my hands right there. There you go. That's why I was bringing it up. That that suddenly had it all ironed out where I could re- re- actually read it and understand it. Okay. Uh, did I tell you I uh, at the last convention I sat down with uh, Steve Winter and Seb Cook for some drinks, and Steve Winter was holding a copy of the Ready Ref Sheets he bought off a of bad mic, and he said he'd never read it. <laughs> that just floors me. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, if I decided to get a copy, I'm going to have to read this. What? <laughs> Maybe he was so busy, you know, working at TSR and stuff, he didn't have time. I mean, it's that's the problem with a lot of people who work in the industry. It's like, you know, when that's your job, you go home and it's like, oh, God, that stuff. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. True, true. It just kind of floored me a little, that's all. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh-huh. That is kind of, that would have been really bizarre considering, you know. Yeah. Except for time. this podcast, which is actually wonderful to listen to at work. Oh, thank you. Where I oh, work. thank you. You, yeah, you thank guys you. Have, have, have saved some of my coworkers' lives and don't even know it. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, saved, uh, saved, yeah, and the image of Jim. In my mind, is there, and that's when I shot them, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> so we saved from die. Yes, we yes, helped the co workers to make their save. They made their savings throws thanks to this podcast. Saving, <laughs> saving lives since. <laughs> so come on, more downloads, folks. <laughs> <laughs> come on, snap, snap. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to random encounters. Okay. We take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Presto! You will come out no more. What? Huh? What will come out no more? Random encounters. Random encounters. Uh, roll the monsters. One. We're gonna talk monsters. Roll the one. We got a random encounter. Greyhawk has, as we have said repeatedly, lots of monsters. Mm-hmm. They also have uh, suggestions on how to make modified monsters. One of the ones yeah. that come to my mind right out the gate was the idea of the, was it the flame retardant mummy? Right. I like that. Like Captain Asbestos or something, I guess. I, what, I blew me, what blew me away was the skeleton who throws his fingers, because I remember reading, when I got GURPS Fantasy, I remember they had skeletons that throw their fingers. It's like, I've never seen that before until I opened this book. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's where they got it. That's what, you know. <laughs> well, you got all those finger bones. It's a shame to, for them to go to waste, I you guess. You can only do it ten times. Now, if you could shoot them like a Gatling gun. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, either, either it's in the rules or I read it somewhere that a bunch of players collected them later and they were like plus two darts. <laughs> players. That'd be great. Sweet. 
finger bone connected. To I wonder it. if you could turn them. The fingers? Yeah. They come in, oh, oh, if you had like the crawling hand type skeleton hands. I turn the. Okay. Goodbye, <laughs> thing. Goodbye, thing. <laughs> Although, if you could turn the fingers as they're flying in the air towards you, and then they oh, just suddenly wow. turn around and go back. <laughs> <laughs> How exactly does a finger cower? <laughs> <laughs> the, fin- the little fingertips all go and hide behind the skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> a little pile of quivering finger bones. <laughs> you go. No, you go. So he encourages this kind of stuff. Yeah, specifically playing on, you know, those players who... Expectations. Oh, look, a rakasha. Uh, cleric, would you bless our this bolt right quick? Let's whack him. Boom. Next, you know. Yeah. Of course, they didn't have my favorite, a bear holding a shark. <laughs> holding a shark? Yeah. That's, a, that's for you Homestar Runner fans out there. Anyway, or Trogdor, for that matter. I didn't see Trogdor in there. Um, you know the monster I liked in there best? Which one? Droids. <laughs> droids. The droids are there as a monster because it doesn't oh. come a class until Eldritch Wizardry. That's right. <laughs> You're and right. these aren't your tree huggers. They're, they're bad news. They, they, this is the wicker man burn people uh, in, in, in wicker cages type druids. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That is you get cool. to change shape three times a day. That's right. And, and have both cleric and magic user spells. Wow. Wham. Yeah. Druids got watered down a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. These aren't the bloodthirsty nature guys anymore. Yeah, and they usually have, like, hordes of barbarians as their minions. Uh-huh. Yeah. They rock. Yeah. Um, oh. So what about you, Liz? What about me? Any other monsters stand out and grab you? Other than kobolds, as usual. <laughs> well, when... I was first when I first started to play, as I have mentioned a few times in the past. You know, all I had was the Holmes box set, and the Greyhawk Brown book, and the Gods, Demigods, and Heroes supplement. Uh-huh. So, so what I really enjoyed about the Greyhawk book in particular was the fact that it expanded the monsters that I already had in the Holmes book. And some of the ones where you have a, you know, you've got the same monster in both. Sometimes Greyhawk would expand on what the monster can do, you know, stuff that's not mentioned in the Holmes write-up of it. So I think one of the ones that I particularly liked a lot was the Hellhound. Really? Because, yeah. um, Oh, because in Greyhawk, they're, they're... They're way more powerful. Yeah, they've got stealth abilities. They can detect hidden and invisible objects and critters. And they're intelligent, which is not mentioned at all in the Holmes write-up, just Hellhound. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, also give them, you know, like the combination monster thing. There are many times companions of fire giants. Um, Woof, woof. yeah. Yeah. So have a fire giant... And a hellhound, maybe a pack of hellhound, who knows? <laughs> wow. Just have this mental image of a fire giant with, you know, hellhounds around his feet, kind of like, you know, a person with chihuahuas <laughs> In a thro- on a throne. <laughs> wow. 
Well, yeah. So it was a that was one of my favorites, you know, because it really expanded on what you would think of viewing with the Hellhound from the Holmes game set, mm-hmm. and gave you more options to make them a little more dangerous. You know, the idea of pairing them with the Fire Giant as a you know pet slash you know. Who's my little minion? Yes, pet minion, guard dog. (laughs) What about you, Jim? It depends on which side of the screen I'm on. On the DM side, I gotta go with the doppelganger. Yeah. Okay. Everybody's favorite party infiltration monster. But uh, when we were players, I don't know why we got we got uh, focused on blink dogs. We chased blink dogs for years in our original campaign, trying to catch them and tame them. And I'm, uh, we were kids. I wanted I, one too. I did. <laughs> I don't know what we were going to do with them when we got them and tamed them, but we just wanted them. <laughs> They're supposed to be intelligent and everything, so I just lawful. You know, my idea, you know, and maybe that was this was just me being a twelve-year-old girl at the time, but it's like an intelligent dog that could teleport, and I could talk to it, and it's like, oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> so, what other monsters do they have in there? There's a lot of stuff riding other stuff in there. The bugbear. The bugbear, a weird bugbear. Uh, the, yeah, the one with the pumpkin head. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Vince didn't invent that one. Yeah, that does sound kind of like his, his great pumpkin people, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bugbear, ghoul, and friends. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they don't look very friendly, though, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Mike's favorite booger art. <laughs> Actually, I must admit, I kind of like that bugbear. I don't know that I'd necessarily use it, but it, it it is certainly different. It would be great to pull on players. Is it okay? You see bugbear in the room. Okay, well, yeah, you know, we know what bugbears are. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's I a flaming see. jack-o'-lantern head with a grizzly bear body. Surprise. Booga 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 booga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he brought some friends. Yes. <laughs> Friends. friends, one of which looks like a man with a chicken head. Yeah, I'm it's, not sure why. It's time Dude, for they could start a band. It's time for Bugbear and Friends. It could be a band that would rock. I don't see. You know what's funny? I thought I'd find it. Oh, goodness. I'm looking in the wrong book. That's why. <laughs> I was, <laughs> no. That'll I was, happen. <laughs> what? I said that'll happen. Yeah. Um, I was pulling the AD&D Monster Manual. I wanted to see what the bugbear looked like in here because if I remember correctly, they've got a picture of a bugbear that looks like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's him. He looks like a furry Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, which I've even got the Grenadier Mini that was designed off that picture. Really? I mean, this guy, yeah. man. Yeah, that's... Are you talking about the AD&D one? Yeah, yeah. I, I love that illustration. I've got those minis, too. Yeah, that's, that That was the iconic bugbear from there. God, if he worked for Monsters, Inc., they'd fire him. He couldn't scare anybody. But this guy, Hawk, looks like one of the Green Goblin's minions or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But, yeah, it's... You know, we ought to do an episode on the AD&D Monster Manual. You know, is it AD&D or is it really original D&D stealth? Well, there there are no AC10s as we've mentioned yes, before. Yes, there's other differences too. 
make that it, make it closer to original than advanced. That's right. Game show, D&D or AD&D? We could invite DM Nick over and, and, and we could argue it since he would doubtlessly argue from the AD&D yeah, side of things. Slip the perp, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's the Greyhawk book. I hope we've given you a good idea of what it's about. One of the things I don't know that we stressed enough is it's a great little grab bag for any version of classic you're running. It is, and it gives you some great – you think, well, the, the first edition of EMG is always going to be the go-to for, like, ideas and stuff, but this is like condensed Skygax ideas. Mm-hmm. This is like the, the quick reference booklet to keep with your stuff. Yeah, because um, yeah, even if you don't use anything out there, just – the stuff he comes up with to just get your mind going. Yeah. I mean, I think the 1E DMG should be read for inspiration, if nothing else, for just about any fantasy RPG. Right. And it's well, just got such good stuff in it. Yeah, but Greyhawk's a good substitute. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Ready to go to inflict on your players. Or so, rather, their characters. Don't inflict monsters on your players. Really, don't. It's... It's so hard to get it another group together after they're well. they're devoured by the you know flaming jack o' lantern headed bugbear. <laughs> Seriously, oh, think about it, won't think you? <laughs> All right. Well, as our tradition demands, we head on the highway. Yep. And once again, we thank Jim Wampler for being a guest DM with Thanks, us today. Jim. It was my pleasure, and thank you for having me. Anytime. You can come anytime. anytime. And how are you heading down the road? Since you're the guest, you get to start. Uh, I'm heading over to the drafting table to finish inking a page of Marvin the Mage. Yeah, work, work, work. All this guy is about is work. <laughs> wow, his is like the most constructive of all. Yeah. I'm being chased by Ernest Borgnine bugbears. I'm being chased by flaming pumpkin-headed bugbears. <laughs> I'm headed down the road with a pack of hellhounds and a fire giant. That's awesome. Looking for a blink dog puppy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I thought I thought she was going to go down with kobold headed bugbears. <laughs> oh, is it too late for me to change to blink dog puppies? Oh, yeah. sure. Go, go for it. Go for it. Well, she's got litter there. You get the pick. But you see, his going to the table was an elaborate ruse to put the blink dogs off their guard. That's right. So he's, don't keep blinking out of the box. <laughs> So we're off, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. 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 Good night.